Now, to get us going today, we're going to play a game. Just to get us prepped for this last message in the series. So how excited are you about playing a game? We all like games, right? It's a simple game. You know, I'm not, going, I'm not going to make you do anything weird or embarrassing where you're at. All you have to do is answer one way or another. It's either going to be powerful or not powerful. So I'm going to show some pictures to you, and they're going to run through. And once you see these pictures, you're either going to say whether you think that picture is a picture of power or a picture of no power. So why don't you look at these pictures and you answer that question. You shout out, powerful or not powerful? This is important today to think about this idea of power. The triumphal entry is really important to look through this lens of power or no power. So I wanted to get, start getting you thinking about that idea. See, power is an interesting thing if you think about it. Like, who's powerful? Who's not powerful? And I think it might be a good way for us to understand this final story of the life of Jesus before Easter. As we've just been going through this series called Dead Man Walking, and we've journeyed all the way from his baptism, and we're ending today with his triumphal entry. And we've been looking at these six defining moments in the life and the ministry of Jesus. And through this journey, we've been reminded, really, of who Jesus is, what he's about, the implications for us to follow him and to receive the things he wants to give to us. And I, I think it might be a good way for us to understand this last story. You see, Palm Sunday, the day that Jesus' life and ministry really comes to a head before those events that actually lead him to the cross. This is when Jesus is coming into Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. And this is the scene, I think we see everything we need to see to understand how power and the kingdom of God actually works. So we're going to be in a couple different books here today. We're going to be in, in the book of Matthew, which we've done the bulk of our journey through this series. But we're also going to be looking at a story from John as well. But we're going to be looking in Matthew 21 first. But before we read this, let me set the scene first. Hundreds of thousands of Jews are actually making their way into Jerusalem. And what are they doing? They're there for Passover. They're there to celebrate and remember what God has done for them. Jesus is a Jew. So he's actually coming to celebrate just like everyone else is. However, he's also coming for another reason as well. He's coming to say to, to that crowd, he's coming to say, I'm your king. Here I am. So here's the first part of this story that we find in Matthew 21, starting in verse 1. This is what we read. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them 
and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. So you might be thinking, you might be wondering, whoa, wait a second. Why is Jesus stealing a donkey? I thought Jesus was supposed to be this nice guy. Why is he stealing someone's donkey? Well, here's the thing. There was a principle that happened in his society at that time called Angaria. And it was basically this idea. For any dignitary, anybody that was important could actually procure the use of property from someone else and actually use that and give it back to them later. And that right often extended to rabbis as well. So Jesus was just using this principle at this time of, of using someone else's property and giving it back to them later on. And the reason he took it, the reason he wanted it, needed it, is really important to today's story. And it's the next part of this passage in verse 4. It says, This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Which means sometime before this event happened, and in this case, about 500 years prior, it was foretold of what exactly to look for at this time. That Jesus was able, or should have been able, to be spotted because of what was already told through the prophets. Verse 5, this is what it says. This is what the prophet is telling people what they should be looking for. Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foil of a donkey. You had these people entering into Jerusalem. They're still under oppression. We have to understand that. And they're looking for their king in the midst of all this. Scripture actually lays out exactly Exactly how he's actually going to come and how they should spot him and recognize him. But as we will see, most people didn't see it. They didn't really get it. And why is that? Because they didn't remember it. And they've been told, they've, been had, they've had a history of being reminded to remember these things. All the way back in Moses, he says, I want you to remember, to remember these things. And they didn't. It continues on in verse 6. It says, the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought their donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of them and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? Very interesting, right? For folks who were actually looking for their king. They're like, Who is this? What's going on here? And it ends like this. The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. It's interesting to take this story and the other that we're going to read and to actually evaluate the characters based on how much power they had and where it came from. So let's start here. Let's start with Jesus. Jesus. 
If you were playing powerful or not powerful with Jesus in this story, you would probably have to put him down toward the not powerful range, right? Here's who, here's who people saw Jesus as. They saw him as a Jew living in a Roman society. He was a Galilean, which meant this, that they were people who farmed and they fished, and that was okay. But they were also taxed so heavily that they actually had no power. And they didn't live very well either. Jesus was also a carpenter as well in this society. A, a decent, okay profession. So really, Jesus was not seen as a very powerful guy because he was this Jewish carpenter from Galilee. Just those few titles showed the lack of power he actually had. A couple more characters that we're going to get into, and I want to name them before we read about them, but we also have the Jewish leaders of the day, the chief priests and the elders. These are the leaders in Jerusalem. They are under Roman rule, but they kind of control the city here. They are in charge of a lot in Jerusalem. And these are the people who will move to arrest and eventually kill Jesus. Now, why would that be? Why would they do that? Their minds were so clouded by other things that they weren't actually looking. And Jesus threatened their authority and their control, and more importantly, their power is how they perceived it. See, the week Jesus was there, they asked him all week while he was there. They would say, what authority do you have to teach these things? Who are you that you can say these things? All along this week, this happens. Who are you? What authority do you have? So Jesus is under arrest. And here's what this story says in John chapter 19. Verse 12, this is what it says. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free. But the Jewish leaders came shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. And anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. And when Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known the Stone Pavement. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Here's your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Pilate asked, shall I crucify your king? We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. And finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went to the place of the skull. There they crucified him, and with two others, one on each side. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened it to the cross and read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. If you're playing powerful or not powerful, and you're talking about the chief priests and the elders here at this day, you have to put them right near the top of powerful. They were supposed to be the people that actually helped everyone that's around them to know God better and to actually help them be more faithful. But they weren't. They lost sight of all of that responsibility and they were consolidating and wielding their own power in this city where they were actually under some power themselves. 
Somehow they came to see Jesus as some threat, and they wanted him eliminated. The rest of the characters we read about in the story, Caesar, who is the ultimate power in the story, he's the ruler of everything at that day. And there's Pilate, who's put there to be in control of Jerusalem. Now, Pilate lives nearby. He's watching over Jerusalem, but he doesn't want to live there at all. Think of, you know, not living in Port Alberni, but out Sprout Lake area. That's kind of where Pilate was living nearby. And the reason he didn't want to live there is because it was a very Jewish city. And if you're playing powerful or not powerful, Pilate is very powerful. If you're playing powerful or not, so there's all of these players that come into this moment. We have the Jewish leaders, Pilate and Caesar, on one side versus Jesus who believed and knew in his own heart that he had more power than all of them combined. You see, with it being Passover, most scholars will agree and believe that there was at least 200 to 300,000 people are trying to get into Jerusalem at this time. Some even say it could have been up closer to a million people celebrating Passover. They're full of religious zeal because this wasn't a very important holiday for them. However, they were also grappling with being under the thumb of somebody, and that was still true in this, in this moment. See, Pilate knew all of this, and his job was to make sure they didn't get out of control and actually have them starting to think, we have enough people here to take these guys out. We could actually do it. Let's do that. And Pilate was there to make sure that didn't happen. That was kind of his fear. They knew with hundreds of thousands of people, he was making sure that they wouldn't get that idea. You know what? We actually outnumber them. We can take this, we can take this city back. So he made sure that didn't happen. And how, here's how he did that. He remounted this army from the west. And what we have to understand, Roman, Rome was good at armies, with men on these incredible horses riding into this city along with these chariots. And they would carry these ornate banners that listed every single battle that they had won. So here they come walking into the city, showing this force, saying, go ahead. You can go ahead and you can celebrate your festivals. That is okay. But remember, we're in control here. And that's one side from the west. Now on the east, here comes Jesus and his army. Except he really doesn't have one. He's got some people that have been with him, who have heard him teach, who he has loved on, who have watched him perform miracles, and believe and know who he is. And here they come walking in. And with them, there were no banners announcing his accomplishments. No big, strong animals to ride on. No chariots. Here we have Jesus riding on a small, borrowed donkey. And people are looking around, and they're thinking, what's going on here? What should we do? Then they thought, you know what? Let's break some of these palm branches, and let's start start waving them at Jesus as he enters into the city. 
Some people begin to size us up and they're like, you know what, there's a lot of us here. And they've heard about this guy named Jesus. And then maybe they start to think, maybe he could lead us. With force, we could take all of this back. So a lot of people were thinking that. Some knew who Jesus was and going in with him. And as Jesus rides in on this borrowed donkey, the crowd starts shouting this phrase, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Which is a Hebrew word that means God save us. So Jesus is riding into a town. On this donkey, people are waving palm branches and people are shouting, God save us. And just prior to that, here comes Pilate and his massive army. And they are witnessing all of this go down. See, all four Gospels recall the story of Jesus riding on this donkey. But only in Luke's account is there this incredible story that takes place. As these people are shouting, Hosanna, those Jewish leaders and the elders actually walk up to Jesus. And they're like, come here. And they ask Jesus, when they get him, say, you know what? Jesus, tell the crowd to shut up. Like, they can't be doing that. Don't you see the army right over there? If they think we're going to do something, they're going to start killing people. So you have to ask this question. The Jewish leaders of the day, the elders and the priests, they were Jewish too, and they were there celebrating Passover. Why didn't they want Jesus to come in and make a change? Why weren't they ready for that? Why weren't they looking for that? Why didn't they believe all these stories that came with Jesus? Why didn't they want this to happen? Well, they didn't want it because they had forgotten, actually, what they were looking for in the first place. They didn't remember the scripture that, that had been given to them about what to look for. If they had, there's no way they could have missed this. That prophet that says, here comes your king riding on a donkey. Like they would have known that, right? That's what they should have been looking for and they missed it. They either missed it or maybe they were too corrupt that they didn't want it anyways. Because for them, it would mean that it would take them out of power. For them, that meant that they wouldn't be able to financially benefit from Passover, and they didn't want that to happen. See, they wanted things to actually stay the same. They weren't looking for Jesus to be anything. So they say to Jesus, you need to tell the crowd to shut up. Tell them to lay it, calm down a bit here. And Jesus' response was amazing. It was amazing. He says, you know what? I can't do that, guys. I can't. If I tell them to shut up, guess what? These rocks on... Do you see these rocks on the ground? They will rise up and shout my name because it is who I am. I am who I am. And they have to shout, God save us, because that's who I am. And if they don't, then these rocks will do it for them. 
Essentially, with that response, what Jesus was saying to them is this, that these rocks here on the ground know more about what's going on here today than you do. See, these Jewish leaders, they, they just didn't remember what to look for. And Jesus, in this moment, was reminding them. See, this moment for Jesus has to be unbelievable. I don't want you to think about this just for a second. All of his life, he's been living out who he is, and he knows what he's about to experience. He knows he's about to be crucified. He knows the pain he's about to go through. He knows how horrible it's going to be, but he's going for Passover, and he's fulfilling the scripture, and he's taking it all in, and this It's what Scripture says in Luke 19. It says this, As he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city. And what did he do? It says he wept over it. And he says, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Jesus is weeping. He's weeping because everyone is missing it. They're not getting it. Nobody gets of what's really happening here because he knows Starting from Moses all the way up, they, this, these Jewish people kept on, had to be told, remember, remember, remember to remember these things. And they didn't. They didn't accept him as their king. But, it, but at the same time, they were so desperately searching for him. So Jesus sees this scene of how the people are oppressed corruption within his own people, and he begins to cry. The people there are wanting different things, and everything Jesus is doing speaks of a completely different kind of power. He's claiming power. He's entering as the king, but his crown will be a crown of thorns. His coronation will be him nailed to the cross. See, this powerful, powerless Jewish carpenter from Galilee, he changes the course of human history forever. Pastor and author Tim Keller says this about this moment. He says, Jesus is the only person I've ever known who's unbelievably humble but not modest. See, Jesus knows who he is. He knows why he's there. He doesn't come in with this army, but he knows who he is. He's not modest about it, but he still comes in humility. And this is important. Jesus doesn't want us to miss this. He doesn't want us to miss this. See, he borrows this baby donkey. He's coming in to rule, and he's coming in to save, but not by taking power in killing, or overturning a government, but by losing power in dying. And it's a fair question to ask. Why? Why would he do that? The reason is pretty simple. 
so that his followers, you and me, can only come by salvation by repenting and admitting our needs. We're not saved by our good works. We're not saved by demonstrating strength over anything. So when Jesus comes in humility and demonstrates that in his own life, we need to understand it for our own as well. See, Palm Sunday is this incredible story of the mismatch of what we think we need and what God actually has provided. See, what we think we need is almost always shallow. But when we come to him, he will give us exactly what we really need. And usually it will always exceed what we thought we needed. See, God always gives you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he does. If we learn this, we can live these non-anxious, peaceful lives. See, we come to God with our felt needs, and he goes to the root of all things, right? We know that Christ is great about probing under the surface and getting to the root of all these things. See, the story helps us to think about what's powerful and what's not powerful. See, we can take the way of Pilate and these religious leaders, or we can take the way of Jesus. But we actually have to pick one. Because here's the reality, we cannot do both. We can't pick both, and we can't have both. Jesus rode in humbly with what everybody really needed. But he cried. He wept as he realized that almost everybody didn't realize it, or they didn't want it. All because they did not remember. And the question becomes this, in this Palm Sunday celebration, will you remember? Will you remember who Jesus is and what he can do and who he is in your life when things start to get hard in your world? Will you remember? Or will you miss out? Or will you not even be looking? Or will you be looking in the wrong places? That Jesus has what you need and he's offering it to you. When we take that on and we understand that vulnerability, it can make a difference in the lives of ourselves and everyone that we come in contact with. We can choose one way or another. The way of control and selfishness or the way of Jesus' humbleness and peace. So on this Palm Sunday, we have to ask ourselves, will we remember? Will I remember? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, this day and what it means and how it kickstarts Holy Week. Lord, I can't even imagine what that scene would have looked like with those, that mob and that crowd and how loud and excited they were. But they, they were missing out on who, what Jesus was really coming to do. They were looking for someone to ride in in a big white horse and overtake the government and kill and, and devastate the Roman Empire. But instead, he came in with something way more powerful than that. And they missed out on it.
Lord, I pray that's something we can, remember, we can learn today, that we won't miss out on what you're trying to do in our life. That we want you to just come in humbly and peacefully and just do what you need to do in our lives. Allow us to recognize when you're moving in our midst and allow you to do what you need to do in us and through us. I pray that we don't become like the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders of that day. And just allow our thoughts and our minds and our, even our heart to be clouded and distracted and that we actually miss out. Or maybe it's because we're not looking or we're looking in the wrong places or we're expecting Jesus to do this instead. Gives the eyes to see. Give us the heart to, cons- to never forget who you are and, want- and what you want to do in us and through us. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.